Ephesians, the fourth chapter, it says this, uh, and we're going to begin reading in the 24th verse. Now remember, this book right here is written for believers. This is written to Christians, uh, people who've committed their life to the Lord, and it's important for us to know that because otherwise we might come to some different conclusions. It, this is not written to the whole world, though anybody in the world who gets saved, this is for them, somebody who receives Christ. And so here it says this in Ephesians 4.20, 4, it says, and that you, that you, so the understood subject here is you, that you put on a sweater, a jacket. When you're a kid, your parents put things on, right? You put them on you, whether you like it or not. You got to wear some stuff, and then you got pictures to prove it, and they're not always popular, maybe in your own eyes. Everybody else thinks you're cute, and you think, I look like a dork. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Oh, it looks wonderful. I think, do they do this stuff on purpose? Parents do this, put stuff on them? But if you notice here, you know, kids, when they're young, can put things on, you know, get stuff put on them. But when you start growing, you're responsible to put things on yourself. And, uh, you know, and how many people, you know, I know somebody, a family member of ours, still blames a relative or a person for how they turned out, and they're maybe 70 now. Well, eventually, you're going to need to dress yourself if you're a believer. Put some stuff off and put some things on. And if you don't put some things off because it was my parents' You know, it's, it's not good when somebody gets to be 20, 30, 40, 50 to say, just keep blaming their parents. Are they still dressing you? Some of you, I think they are. You right? In other words, you, you know, and how many of us have tried to help dress our parents after a while? Oh, I don't wear that, you know, <laughs> put this on. But the fact of the matter is here it says in that you put on the new man, so you can only put on what you've got. And you can't blame people for what you're wearing today. You with me? And so we, we put on, we all chose for the most part what we wore today. But I bet you a lot of the kids that are in the different classrooms did not choose. You, you ever notice some kids have fashion sense, but it's probably young, the younger ones, uh, fewer of them do. Isn't that the truth? It's like they grow into what they should and shouldn't wear. You with me? And, and so they start dressing themselves. I can't wear that. I'm going to wear this. And God right here commands the believers. He said, and that you put on a turtleneck sweater. No. They may be in fashion and may not be in fashion, but what he tells you to put on is always in fashion in the kingdom. What did he say? That you put on the new man. You know, some people don't even know after they've given their life to the Lord that there is a new man. And if they do, they are looking sometimes in the wrong place for the new man. I mean, if, if I went to your house or you went to my house and, I, I, and you said, hey, I've got to go get some clothes real quick, I have enough intelligence, I'm thinking that you're going to either go to the washroom where you do your laundry and look in the dryer or look if there's a... a, a a, a hanger rod there hanging or a clothes basket there 
or it's going to be in your room, either in a dresser or in a closet. Those are going to be the primary places I would look if I was looking to put something on, right? I mean, if you said, okay, just a minute, and you run out in your backyard, how many of you would think that was normal? You'd think, well, now that's different. They went in their backyard. Now, if you had a swimming pool, maybe you thought they left some swimming trunks outside to dry. But if you're thinking, you know, hey, you know, we're all going to go get something to eat and you need to get dressed, dressed, and they go outside, unless they have a clothesline, you're thinking, why are you going outside? And if they went out the front door, you'd really be surprised, wouldn't you? And if they came back with clothes, I think all your neighbors, their neighbors would be surprised too and think, why do you hang them in the tree? Right? That wouldn't be, don't, don't be that neighbor. Just saying. If you are, just smile and go, okay, I'll stop. And, uh, but you say, why are you saying that? Because it's important to know where clothes are. Because then we can go there and put them on. And if he said put on the new man, then you've got to know where the new man is. Because if you don't know where he is, you might be in the backyard going, well, I don't got no new man. Or you might be in the front yard looking for a new man or in the living room looking for a new man. So when you get born again, where is the new man? Well, the Bible tells you he's called the hidden man of the heart. Well, then if you think natural heart, then you think of this thing that's pumping blood right here. But when you think of the Bible and it talks about heart, you know it means core. 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 What's the core? It's the middle. And that's why the Bible said in Proverbs and other places that the spirit of man in the King James is the candle of the Lord, the spirit, searching all the inward parts of the belly, way down on the inside. Anybody who gets born again, way down inside, becomes brand new. And he said, you need to get that new man that's in you, on you. In your actions, in your mind, you need to start thinking different. And he said, you need to put it on. Notice he said, Because actually, if you go back to the 23rd verse, he said, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. So part of putting on the new man is getting proper information that if you've received Christ, there is a new man. There's a new part. And so he said that you put on the new man, which was, not which is going to be. If you are new, you already are this. You may not act like it, you may not look like it, you may not whatever, but if you have given your life to Jesus and made him Lord, you are new. If you're not, but you go to church and you do your thing, you are just religious. You have nothing to put on. You're just acting like a parrot, making the noises, making the sounds, repeating different things, but you're still a parrot. But when you give your life to Christ, you become a new creation in Christ, the Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5. And so this new creation is not a recreation of the body, because then we would all know everybody who got saved. Because we go, oh, look at, they came, they were, look like this, and then they're leaving and they look like this, they're totally different. New skin, new hair, new whatever. That's why where it says, you know, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The verse before says, we know no one any longer after the flesh. So this new creation is a spiritual recreation. And when you get saved, you're made new. You with me? You are made 
new inside. And that's important because that's what he said you need to put on. Because if you don't put it on, you could be naked. You know that? Jesus, speaking to the church in the book of one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, he said, you're this, you're that, you think you're this, you think you're that. He said, but you don't know, but you're naked. Now, he didn't mean like, whoa, everybody who came to church today is naked. Now, he's not talking about that. He's talking about there were certain things that were supposed to be on them that were not after they were saved. And uh, if certain things are not on you, you may adopt other things and accept them and allow them on you. And you might find out there are things on you that don't belong on you that you've been wearing for a long time. And they're not fashionable in the kingdom. So, well, what are you talking about? Well, we'll just read and we'll see in a minute when we turn from here. That you put on the new man, which was, which was created according to God. Well, Ephesians 2.10 said, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So inwardly, there's something in us that wants to be different, wants to live different, serve God, and is completely different if you're saved. The greatest, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in life, and really was the greatest, was when I surrendered my life to the Lord. Things changed inside. Nobody told me, you need to stop doing this, you need to start doing this. Man, something changed and it started driving me from the inside out. And I was created new. And he said, we've been created according to God. Notice this phrase, in true righteousness. That's an odd statement. Because how many Christians say, if you said, are you righteous? They say, I'm trying, I'm working on it. And then they look at someone else and they say, now, are they righteous? Yeah, they are. What about them? Oh, no, they're not. They're, yeah, they're more righteous than them. And it tells you right there, people don't know what righteousness is. And if they don't know what righteousness is, that's who they are created. They've been created in true righteousness. Who has? Everybody? Every believer. See, many people think righteousness is something you work to obtain. The Bible said by the works of the law, nobody can be righteous. Nobody can do enough good things to be righteous. What does righteous mean? It means to be innocent. means to be declared just like you never sinned. Well, we all have. But he said you were created this way. He didn't say you attained it by your works. He said God created you like this. Who? The believer. Inwardly. But what if it's in here, way down inside, by virtue of a new nature, but it's not in my thinking? Then it may be in me, but not in my actions, that could allow for other things to ride me, or be on me. Notice he said, created according to God in true righteousness. True. True righteousness. If there's something true, then that would have to mean, if he designates the word true, why would he designate true unless there's a chance that there would be false? Paul said it this way in Philippians, the third chapter, not having my own righteousness, which is by the works of the law, but he said, I have the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus. So he describes two kinds. One, you think you're good enough because your good works. He said, that didn't work. 
He said the only kind that works is the kind you get when you receive Jesus, and it's the making of a new man inside. No wonder he said the old passes away, and behold, all things become new inside. You become righteous. But that doesn't mean a lot to people. What is righteousness? He said you were created in true righteousness and holiness. So to call myself just a sinner after I've been saved, and I'm a person, you know, I'm just a sinner, and I just sin like the rest of them, you're talking bad about God's work. He said you were created in true righteousness and true holiness, and he said get this on you. So you don't want to talk down about yourself, because if you're talking down about yourself, it's because you're thinking down about yourself. You're thinking actually contrary to the way God thinks about you as a believer. So, now that I laid that out a little bit, turn to Romans. He created us new. Go read through the New Testament and you'll find, I'm going to just stop on the way to Romans and 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he made him, him who? Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Jesus never experienced and lived in sin. When you sin, you are not right. You are not justified. You're guilty. And all humanity is under the plight of being guilty except for by Jesus. Notice it said, he who he made, for he made him who knew no sin. Only Jesus knew no sin. So he only made Jesus sin. For you, it says for us, but it would be safe for me to say for you. Why was Jesus, who never was a sinful person, made sin, or as some places in the Bible say, a sin substitute or a sin sacrifice? It said he actually became sin. He never was. He never was. He never was. He never was. Sin makes you not worthy. Makes you unrighteous. So all the world is that way. But he became sin for us or the whole world. He was made it on our behalf that we might become or be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin so you would be righteous. He never was uh, sinful and unrighteous. He was always righteous. He became unrighteous so that you would be righteous. Righteous means the ability to stand right in the sight of God without guilt and shame. Without the sense of, I'm unaccepted. I'm not accepted. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm guilty. All those terms of guilt and shame, inferiority, are all things that people have on them when they haven't put on this. Doesn't mean they're not it, it just means they're wearing something that is not theirs. So, so in the New Testament, 
because of time's sake. We know this, and you can look it up on your own. You can look in a Greek concordance or whatever and look it up online. The word justified and the word righteous many times are used interchangeably. Righteous means right, like you never sinned. Justified means to be declared like you never sinned. They're same words, and they're used many times and change in a sentence, or so to speak, or in a verse. So when he talks about being justified, he's talking about being righteous. And how do you get righteous? How do you get just like you never sinned? Because here's the thing, you have. So how do you get like you never have? You have. Everybody has. And even when you're a Christian and think you're perfect, you have. Period. Haven't you ever thought, man, I'm doing so good, and you grow a little bit in the Lord, and you go, oh my, what do I do? Well, you just realize, because you got more light, you weren't as perfect as you thought you were back then. Right? But the whole thing is, is then what? Well, you got to understand, people are like, well, then am I righteous? Am I unrighteous? If a dog acts like a cat, is it a cat? No. What if it does a reassignment? <laughs> cat reassignment. I mean, I'm just saying, this is relative. Is it now a dog? It had reassignment surgery. I don't know, does it get slitted eyes more or something? You know, is it, is it now a dog? No. Why? Because it was made, born away, a certain way. That's why the Bible talks about being born again. You're made a new way. You're made right in the sight of God because Jesus was made unright so you could be made right. He became sin so you could be like you never sinned. By works? No. We know the Bible said by faith, by receiving Jesus, I'm right. You're right. The problem is, is we go, hey, I just did something wrong the other day. You're still right. You're still created right. Your nature is still this way. Not knowing this paralyzes people from moving forward in God and affects their faith. I'm talking about believers. You guys are all there in Romans the 8th chapter? Because I don't have a lot of time. Well, we're not doing evening service tonight, so I guess I can take those hours. No, I won't do that to you. Romans, the 8th chapter. And um, we'll begin reading in verse 30. He's been writing for some time in the book of Romans about people who tried to be righteous and be clean from sin by their own works. And the only way a person can be clean is by receiving Jesus, and then you are made right or justified. It says, he is just, and the justifier, or the one who declares you innocent. How? He said, by, by having faith in him. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you're declared 
And so that means if you did that five years ago, you're still just like you never sinned. Somebody said, yeah, but I did. You're still declared like you never sinned. Now, don't keep sinning. Because he said, how then can we continue in sin for those who are dead to sin? Should we continue on longer and continue this way that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. No, we don't. Why? Because we're created different. It'd be like going against your nature. So that being said, let's start in verse 30. He said, and so and anyway, so he talked about being justified. Then he talks about power over sin. But then he does talk about having weaknesses and failings and messing up in this chapter. But not being indebted to keep doing the wrong. He said, we're not. And he said, the Spirit will help us. And then it goes on to talk about how we, people who are saved are predestined. Now you hear that word, and if you take it out of its setting, you can make it say something that it never intended to say. And so some people say, see, some people are predestined to be saved, and some people aren't predestined to be saved, and some people are predestined to be stupid, and some people are not. And maybe I'm one of the ones that's predestined to be stupid. Yes, you are. No! No. He said that we were predestined. Everybody who gets saved is predestined. In other words, if you get on the bus that has the sign going here, that's predestined. You got on the bus. You took the ride. There's a destination. That bus is going there. It says, go back and read, like I said, we don't have time. Everybody who receives Jesus is predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. God wants you to walk in love like Jesus did. He wants you to walk in faith like Jesus did. He wants you to walk and serve Him like Jesus did. He said it. Go back and read the 8th chapter on your own. But there were some struggles with some things. Here And he said, if you'll pray, he said, the Spirit will help you in your moral frailties. But what if you goof up? What do we do? Even though you're created righteous and justified. Well, if you don't wear this, you'll live paralyzed by guilt and shame. And you'll be listening to the wrong thing, accepting the wrong thing, and it'll make you stand back instead of stand up. It'll make you cower in the face of the devil. It'll make you cower before problems because who am I? Well, nobody on your own, but in Christ you're new and you're righteous. And so he says some pretty fantastic things right here, but you're going to have to come back next week. Because, no, the 30th verse. Moreover, brethren, moreover, whom he predestined, and the predestination here is to be conformed to the image of his son. Go back and read a couple verses. He also called. You were predestined and you were called. What were you called to? Well, we talked about this the other day at prayer. Uh, don't always teach, but taught on being predestined. The Bible said that the first calling of every believer is to be called out of darkness and called into the fellowship of his son. Everybody is called to build a personal relationship with the Lord through prayer and walking with God. Because a lot of people want to know, what am I called to do? First thing you're called to do is have a relationship with God. When you give your life to Him, you just start building your, your, your fellowship. 
because you've got a relationship. You're born, and then you just start spending time with God. You start growing, and out of that place, you'll start getting other stuff. But that is the primary calling of every believer. The first thing, just start building a personal walk with him. Have a personal time with him. And so he said, whom he, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Means he declared them like they never sinned. Whom he justified, he also glorified. What does that mean? He placed his power and his glory in them. Then it says this, verse 31, and here we go. What then shall we say to these things? That's how he's starting. After telling you, you're righteous, you've been created new. God, you're, you're God's, God's declaration. He, he did it, not you. No, notice it didn't say anything about you. He justified you. He made you righteous. Notice it didn't say anything about you. So why make it something about you? Yeah, but I sinned. Maybe you are siding with the wrong thing. Yeah, but I, I sinned and sinned again. Maybe you're just siding with the wrong thing. Maybe you're wearing something you shouldn't. Maybe you don't have this on like you ought to. And maybe getting rid of that kind of thinking is putting off the other and putting this on. And maybe it's a fight. You ever seen kids, as they start to grow, they don't want to wear that? And, uh, and you're, stop it. And you're wrestling with them. Listen, you start growing and knowing this, you wrestle when certain things come on you, like you're inferior, and you're not what you should be, and you're not who God really, you know, you're just not good enough. Well, you just made so many mistakes. You might be adopting a wrong attitude. That might be just a flat wrong attitude. You know, some people talk about, you've got a bad attitude. Maybe you've got a bad attitude if you think, I'm just not good enough, and I'm not righteous, and I'm not clean. Maybe that's a real bad attitude. Okay, we'll just keep going. Notice this. What then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? Not what shall we say to God. Not what shall we say to ourselves, Not what shall we say here or to him, but to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? What would be against you? Would guilt be against you? Oh, you better believe it would be. Well, you, you, you're just not worthy enough. You're just not clean enough. You're just not good enough. You don't think the devil would try to paralyze you in that kind of thinking? You, you don't think so? Notice this. Verse 31. If God, halfway through, if God is for us, who can be against us? Notice verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. So now he's kind of laying it out how God is for you. Because, you know, you can say God's for you, but what does it mean He's for you? How for you is He? How much on your side is He? Well, He said, He who did not spare His own Son, 
but delivered him up for us all. And I'm glad he said all because some people would exclude themselves. Now, I want to ask you this. If you have a child, how many of you would let your child die for someone else? And not just let them die, offer them. People are like, we had a like mean to do their yard work? No, I mean die for them. I mean, think about the value then he has to put on us that he would, that he would have his son die for us. What's he saying? If God is for us, because we're saying stuff to things, and he just wants you to know how much God is for you, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, for us all. How? He became sin, so you might be right. You, so you'd be clean. So you'd be his own child. Delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That statement is huge. Maybe more than you know, because what are we doing? We're talking to something. We're talking to things. And now we need to know God's for us. And He's so for us, He offered up His Son to show how much He's for us. With His Son, He freely gives us all things. So that means He backs me and everything is mine that I need, but I'm talking to something. I'm saying something to something. Because how many things talk to you and say, well, healing's not for you. Wouldn't that be one of the things that he gave? Would things be talking to you saying, well, you're not good enough for that? You know how many times? Well, God didn't want to meet all your needs, but he said he, he loved you so much he gave his son and then with him gave you freely all things. But it's in the context of you're speaking to this but he's trying to get ammunition on your behalf so when you do speak, you know. That's why he said, you've been justified. You've been made like you have no sin in your life. Well, you're going to need to know that because when you stand up against problems, they're going to accuse you in every way why it's not your right, your privilege, your place. Will God want this? Does he want this? And he's trying to lay this down right here. You with me? He said, he didn't spare his own son, but he delivered them up for us, all. And then he said, for us all, shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Well, just go back to the 17th verse, and he said, if you're a child, you're a joint heir with Jesus, and everything he got and bought and paid for belongs to you. He's just reiterating it. Now let's read the next thing. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? What are we talking about? Saying things to things. And who, bring, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Remember, the elect are those who have received Jesus. Who can bring a charge? So you know whatever these things you're speaking to and talking about and making mountains move, they're going to be bringing charges. You don't got enough faith. How much faith do I need? I got God's power. 
Jesus said it like this. You don't need a ton of faith. If you've got a little bit of faith like a mustard seed, you can make a mountain move. Why? Because it's God's power that becomes active. And so he said, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And he's talking about us. So this means while you're trying to speak to stuff, there's stuff that charges are going to come. What is a charge? Uh, they, they, they did this, they did that, they did this, you did that, you did it again. How many times are you going to do that? Those are charges. Spiritual charges in the unseen realm are just as right or real and maybe more so, but we don't recognize it as natural things. They were speeding. They robbed a bank. They did this. But what are they? They're things that try to make you not look so spiffy and not deserve or be in a place where you get all the stuff and walk in because you're going to need to say something. And so he said, who is he, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Notice he said this, who can bring a charge? And then it says, but it's, it's God who justifies. In other words, He's the one who declares you innocent, but somebody else is making a charge. If God's the one declaring you innocent, He's the biggest, the strongest, the mightiest, and He's the one who said you're innocent, and He said, but other things will bring charges against you. Who can do it successfully, though? Whose report are you going to believe? So you could tell there's a battle. Charges are coming, but God's on your side. He loves you, and He said... I justified you. I made you. But if you don't understand, you go, well, I'm trying. No, he didn't say try. He said, I made you. I justified you. I made you like you didn't sin. Notice, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, if they do, the Bible said, God said, I declared you just like you never sinned. Verse 34, who is he who condemns you? In other words, declares you guilty. You're condemned to this sentence. How many times have people done that and allowed themselves to be condemned to a sentence? You've done this so many times, now you're going to pay for it. Who is he who condemns you? Remember, you're talking to things. Who is he who condemns you? See, these are real things. Everybody knows what these are because everybody's tried to pray. Everybody's spent time with God. Everybody's risen up and said, I'm going to pray and get an answer. And the devil said, well, you've done this so many times. Who are you? And what's he doing? He's laying charges. He's condemning, passing down sentences. But we already see God, even though he puts charges, God said, you're like you never sinned. Charges come, you're like you never sinned. More charges come, you're like you never sinned. More charges come, you're like you never sinned. You're righteous. Somebody said, oh, I don't know about that. Well, the problem is you aren't good enough to get yourself into heaven. The only way you get in is through Jesus and Him making you righteous. Period. So you just have to side with this, whether you like it or not. Whether this hurts your religion. Sorry. Let's just keep cruising. Who is he who condemns or declares you the judgment on you? Well, it's Christ who died. He, he, he substituted. And furthermore is risen. 
Where is he risen? Who is even at the right hand of God? He's up there right next to God. Well, what's he doing? Notice, charges come. God said, you are declared just like you never sinned. But then he said, condemning comes. And then it's there, Jesus is ever living, the Bible said, to make intercession for us. What does it mean? He's pleading on your behalf. I died for them. I paid the price for them. They're not guilty. I did this. And he's up there interceding. So you have things that bring charges. You have things that bring condemnation. But you've got God already on your side who said you're declared like you've never sinned. And then Jesus is up there. The Bible calls him an advocate up there, which means a lawyer. And he's pleading for you. I know that like, you know, you see some of these court ones and you see somebody and you're like, man, they're so guilty. And they're like, they got a good lawyer. And you're like, they're going to get off. And how many of us have fought and said, no, wait a minute. He really killed them. If it doesn't fit. No, sorry. Forgive me, Lord. I didn't know what I was about to. No, I didn't know what I was about to say. But you think, man, that guy, the only reason he got off, maybe he was. Maybe he didn't do it. But who knows? But the fact of the matter is, we know he had super good lawyers. And here's the thing. What is it, what important part is there for a person who has a lawyer? You've got to watch what you say. And remember, what are we going to say to these things? And our lawyer is Jesus who is pleading on your behalf. God's the one who said you are justified. I declared you that way. But he said condemnation, accusations are going to come. You're going to need to speak to him or you're going to wear condemnation. You're going to wear guilt. You're going to wear a sense of inferiority. Though you're going to be God's, you're going to be clothed with something that shouldn't be on you. So just like you would resist sin, you resist condemnation. No, I am. Yeah, but you know how long you've been doing this for? It doesn't matter. He, I mean, he didn't give us a big sentence. He just said, I declared you just like you never sinned. And then it says, Jesus is ever living to make intercession for us. He's pleading on our behalf. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, we know what the love of Christ is, the substitution of his death to get you back to himself. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, this expression of God's love, of him being for us? Then he goes through a big old list. Shall tribulation, tests, and trials, or distresses, hard times, maybe even messed up, persecutions, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. I mean, he goes through a list. And he ain't even done with the list. He's about to throw demons in there in a minute. And it says, as it is written, for your sake, Lord, we're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, King James says, nay. Nay. Not like a horse. No, is what he was saying. No. No. It's like a play on words. You know, he's just saying these things, and he said, no. This says it right here like this. Yet, in all these things, 
we are more than conquerors. Why? Because we're having to say something to these things. You're more than a conqueror when these things come because everything belongs to you and God is for you. He set you right. He's pleading on your behalf. There's no reason you're disqualified. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. Well, he was just telling you what he was persuaded about. That neither death nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers, demon powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, it doesn't matter what it is, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. Well, what is this love? It's the setting right. It's the inheritance. It's our position. And nothing can separate us. But the issue is this. Can something separate you? Or, let me make it this way, can something paralyze you from action? We know in James 5, in the Amplified, it talks about a righteous man, when he prays, can make tremendous power available. And other translations talk about the effectiveness of a person who's right with God when they pray, and it can bring effect and bring healing, actually, in James 5, 16 and 17. But what happens if a person succumbs and goes, yeah, I'm guilty, I'm not accepted, I'm not righteous, I'm not beloved, God's not really for me, he's not on my side. Then what they've done is they've succumbed to that, they cower. Why are they cowering? They're cowering under condemnation. They're cowering under guilt. Something that doesn't belong to them, that it's a tool of the enemy to make them back down because if they start knowing I'm clean because of him, they're going to stand up and pray and get results. And they're going to speak to these things. And they're going to live in victory. That's why the Bible said in Revelation 12:11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's what washed you. That's what cleansed you. And the word of your testimony. That's speaking to the things. You with me? And there are things. And if you don't know, don't worry, they'll come. And when they leave, they'll come back sometime. What will we say to them? Well, if you're a good, if you're good, I don't mean good like good enough, but good Pay attention to your attorney, Jesus, your advocate, who said, I'm pleading for you. God declared you just like you sin. So don't let guilt rob you. Don't let condemnation rob you. Don't let devils come and say, well, you can't. You don't got enough power. You don't got enough might. No, I'm clean. I've been set right. I have an inheritance. It belongs to me no matter how big or small or what I've done. I'm here. I'm walking in it. Period. Here I go. But you've got to speak to things. Not to God. Oh, God. No, to things. And drive off condemnation. If you can make guilt leave, you can make other things leave. Somebody said, oh, but it could be a fight. Yeah, because it's been your buddy for so long. You go to the playground and you play with guilt. And because you're playing with guilt, you won't play with anybody else. Because you've already got a friend guilt condemnation 
Everywhere you go, I just don't want to be around anybody else because you've been playing with people you shouldn't. And I don't mean people, I mean things. Once you get rid of it, maybe you'll start going, I'd like to be around somebody because I'm, I'm not around. I mean, I'm around the Lord. He's around me. But I've got space for people now. But if those are your buddies, they may be used to coming around and then, you know, you may be doing good and all of a sudden you say, get, get from me, guilt, get. And it tries, cause, like a dog. <laughs> oh, you, you, you know, I belong here because you just haven't been good enough. And you're like, I know, okay. No! And you just have to stand. After a while, you can get that stuff to leave you and not just dog you and live around you and gloom on you and cloud over your day. But it'll try to come back, but you can get victory. Amen? I said, you can get victory. Oh, but I think I might even sin this afternoon. Shut up. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those things. Shut up. I don't have to sin this afternoon. I was created in true righteousness and holiness. Shut up. Get. And, and don't even worry if he keeps talking. Just speak and say, no, I've been made new.